Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, afternoon where I am, probably uh, evening where you are. Uh, given that we have people here from uh, Latvia and Ireland and France and Romania and Hungary and España. What a joy to be with you. My name is John Bradshaw. I'm the president of It Is Written, a media ministry and a media evangelism ministry uh, based in uh, just outside Collegedale, Tennessee, which is uh, just a couple of miles down the road where we are from Southern Adventist University. Um, it is still a warm summer's day here, and it's really a joy. I counted it a great privilege to be able to join you. Thank you for having me. I want to thank the leaders of ASI Europe and the leaders of GYC Europe, two organizations for which I have an immense amount of respect. I have joined you in the past, and it is a privilege to be able to join you now. I notice I've seen already several very good friends of mine here, including uh, Pastor Philip Baptiste from uh, ASI North America, great to see you, and others as well. My prayer is that you will be uh, blessed. I want to thank my translators, well, our translators. Uh, thank you so much for the wonderful work that you are doing. Uh, I am grateful for, I've got messages coming in and I don't see them too very well. So here's hoping everything goes okay. I am very, very grateful for this year's theme. I don't know that it could be better. Ask, what if we asked? And our theme verse, John 16, verse 24. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Indicating that Jesus wants us to ask. And I'll share some illustrations of that as we go along. I hope you're holding up okay during this pandemic. I know different countries are wrestling in different ways. I trust, I pray that you are okay, that your family members are well, that your church family are all well, and that life is kind of able to go on pretty normally where you are. Here at It Is Written, we have been busy during the pandemic. We have conducted already two major online evangelistic series. One was called Hope Awakens, and that was an evangelistic series that was watched online around the world. We had a health series where we interviewed 25 or so medical specialists, physicians. That was called Take Charge of Your Health. We spoke to many people who have seen transformation in their health. Really very powerful. You can watch those series at our channel. It is written or yes, it is written TV. It is written TV. Uh, and I would ask you to pray for us. We start Answers in Prophecy in October, uh, and we have a very full calendar going through to October of next year of online evangelistic series. Very exciting time, and we've needed to adapt with the environment in which we find ourselves. So thank God that technology enables us to press forward. God is alive and well. The Holy Spirit is still working. Well, here's what we'll do. 
I'll try to see the time. I need a bigger clock. All right, and I shall respect the time as well as far as I'm able. Again, thank you, ASI, for the outstanding work you're doing, ASI Europe. GYC Europe, thank you so much for holding up the Bible, for lifting up the spirit of prophecy, for encouraging young people of all ages to be faithful to God, to welcome the spirit of God into their lives, and to be involved in evangelism and mission. That's why we exist as a church, and I'm grateful that both GYC Europe and ASI Europe fervently support the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You are making a great difference and doing a great work. Thank you very much, both of you. Well, let's pray, and then we'll open our Bibles, and we'll expect the blessing of Almighty God. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, we come to you. We thank you for your presence with us and for convening this conference, this joint ASI Europe, GYC Europe convention. Bless us in this. And I ask you to bless the leadership of both organizations, the mission of both organizations, and I pray that what happens during these days here would be blessed of heaven, that it would have an influence, an impact, and an effect greater than we could even imagine. Bless us now, we ask you, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. We are going to dig right into our Bibles, and we'll go to Luke chapter 11. Ask, what if we asked? Luke chapter 11 will begin in verse 1. The Bible says that it came to pass as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. What an incredible question. The interesting thing is that Jesus is about to answer it. What if we pray? Now, Jesus teaches the disciples what it is to pray. So this is a lesson for you. It's a lesson for me as well. Prayer. Here is Jesus. He said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, that was the lesson. Well, the lesson goes on and we'll go on as well. But here was Jesus saying, this is what it looks like to pray. My friend, I want to encourage you to commit to taking time to pray. You are too busy, then give back to the devil some of those things that he has put into your life that have made you too busy to pray. You don't know how to pray. You've prayed and you, and you have not seen answers as you wish. There are 
endless excuses that we can make for not praying, but none of them are any good. Jesus says, pray, and we will say, all right, we are going to pray. Take a look at your life right now. If it is not characterized by prayer, I want to encourage you to make, uh, to make a prayer. Let's not make a commitment right now. Let's ask God to work in our lives so that we become people of prayer, men of prayer, women of prayer, children of prayer. Imagine if that's what we were. Jesus says, when you pray, pray, our Father in heaven. Who are you praying to? The majesty of the universe. Already, you know that God has enough to give you what you ask. He has enough possessions. He has enough wealth. He has enough wisdom. He is your heavenly Father. There is no limit to God. The Bible says the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. The word of God says the silver is his, the gold is his, the cattle on a thousand hills. It all belongs to God. And he has urged us, pray and pray again. And Jesus says, when you pray, know who you're praying to, your loving heavenly father. He has your best interests in mind. He knows what's best for you always. He sees the end from the beginning and he knows what you're going through. In my personal devotional time, I'm reading through the book of Exodus right now. And just a day or two ago, God said to Moses, go and tell the people, I'm going to get them out of Egypt. He went to tell the people and the people didn't believe him because they were discouraged, the Bible says, and they were bitter. They were on the very brink of being released from slavery in Egypt, and they were discouraged. If only they could have seen as God saw, or if only they had trusted the God that they knew was in heaven. So friend, we are praying to our Father, and we trust Him, and we don't see what He sees, but we know that he sees it all and he sees it right. Our Father in heaven. What comes next? What if we prayed, hallowed be thy name? What if we prayed that prayer? We live in a world full of unholiness. One of the greatest challenges facing the church, one of the greatest challenges facing God's people today is the influence of secularism. It's the temptation to get so used to sin that we treat it lightly. It's the temptation to see heaven and ministry and outreach as less important than they really are. We are caught in a great controversy. We are caught in a life and death battle between good and evil eternity is at stake. If you and I could be convinced that God is holy, that he is who he is, and that he can do for us 
and in us and through us what he says he can do, the world would be different and our lives would be different. Our Father in heaven, you are holy, you are mighty, you are lifted up, and you are able. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Come on now. What if we prayed? And what if we prayed that like we meant it? What if we took the Adventist part of our name seriously? What if pastors and teachers and students and adults and young people and Sabbath school teachers and deacons and elders, what if we believed Jesus was coming back soon? Now, I know there is one person right now listening a little bit cynical, and he or she is saying, you've been saying that forever. We've been saying that for 150 plus years. That's true. And every day we say it is a day closer to the time that Jesus returns. And by the way, if you look at your birth certificate, you will be convinced that Jesus is coming back very soon. You know what I mean. What if we believed it? You know how belief in the Advent impacted the early Adventists back when William Miller taught that Jesus was coming back to the world. You know how they changed their lives, left their crops in their fields, gave their money to the work of sharing the gospel. They believed that Jesus was coming back. Now, they may not have been right, we are right. Jesus is coming back soon. There must be an urgency about us. Friend of God, if you happen to be a pastor or an elder or a church leader, let me encourage you. Feed the people of God as though Jesus is coming back soon. Preach with a little urgency that suggests Jesus is coming back soon. We don't have time to waste time. We don't have time to fritter away time, to treat it as though we have more than we do. Jesus is coming back soon. We got to be lit up, set on fire with an urgent, earnest belief that Jesus is coming back soon. This can drive us in ministry. And if we believe that Jesus is coming back soon, we will believe that we must occupy till he comes. The events going on in the world at this very moment have demonstrated to us that things can change quickly. We have learned that overnight, the entire planet, people in Brazil and Russia and South Africa and New Zealand and India and Saudi Arabia at the same time are focusing on a single issue. 
It is dominating everything. Have you ever read something like that in the Bible concerning the second coming of Jesus? Oh, yes, you have. You've read about the last great conflict in this world. You've seen it in Revelation chapter 13. And you have had people say to you, how can that happen? Well, now we know. Seventh-day Adventists have been given by God a dry run, a test drive to see how things can change so quickly. We have not a moment to lose. Measures have been implemented during the pandemic that have caused life to change and has changed lives in moments. I'm not being critical of any of that. I'm just stating what we know. Things have changed quickly. We don't have time to waste, wasting time. We are Adventists because we believe in the Advent. And if there is somebody even in your church who has no urgency about the return of Jesus, go and find somebody in your community who has never heard of your church and share with them because right now they are asking questions about life and death and eternity. People are asking questions. Jesus is coming back soon. We must eat. We must clothe ourselves. We must have somewhere to live, but our overriding concern must be the return of Jesus. Our number one priority must be the return of Jesus. Let's pray that prayer. Thy kingdom come. And then Jesus said, pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that prayer and see how it changes your life. It's the prayer Jesus prayed when he said to his father, not my will, but your will be done. Just this prayer would change your life. It would change your church. Imagine when temptation comes and you pray, not my will, but your will be done. Imagine that for a moment. This is the prayer of surrender. Imagine that you are not sure what to do with your future and you pray, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want. Imagine you are wondering, should I marry this individual? Imagine that, but you're not sure. It might be the best thing you've ever done. It might turn out to be the worst thing you've ever done. And so you are going to say, Lord, what is your will? I will follow. That, that would change society. You know it would. Lord, am I going to study this or that? Do I pursue this degree? Do I pursue this trade? Lord, what do I do? Lord, what do we buy? Do we buy this home? Do we buy this possession? Do we invest in this investment? Not my will, but your will be done. Lord, do I get involved in the church outreach project? Not my will, your will be done. You know that God has a perfect will for us. Now I'm going to read a quote for you. And this quote is going to come from Steps to Christ from page 47. If you want to look it up, I'm going to give you a moment before I read. 
But this quote has to do with the will. Where is your will? Who has your will? Jesus taught us to pray, not my will, but your will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen to this. This is a little bit long, so I hope that you will hang in there with me. Steps to Christ, starting on page 47. And the servant of the Lord wrote, Many are inquiring, how am I to make the surrender of myself to God? You desire to give yourself to him, but you are weak in moral power, in slavery to doubt, and controlled by the habits of your life of sin. Your promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. The knowledge of your broken promises and forfeited pledges weakens your confidence in your own sincerity and causes you to feel that God cannot accept you. But you need not despair. Listen, what you need to understand is the true force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision or of choice. Listen, everything depends on the right action of the will. The power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections. But you can choose to serve him. You can give him your will. He will then work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Thus, your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Your affections will be centered upon Him. Your thoughts will be in harmony with Him. Desires for goodness and right, desires for goodness and holiness are right as far as they go. But if you stop here, they will avail nothing. Listen to this. Many will be lost while hoping and desiring to be Christians. They do not come to the point of yielding the will to God. They do not now choose to be Christians. I could read more, but I won't. Thy will be done. What a prayer. A primary purpose of prayer is to unite our will with the will of God. Prayer is not just to convince God to do what we want. It's to find out what he wants and then to ask him to do that in our lives. Prayer is surrender. We don't come to God with a shopping list, do all of this. We come to God with a heart. Take all of this and make it your very own. We go to Revelation chapter 14. We find the three angels' messages. 
God will have a saved people ready for the return of Jesus. He describes them as keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They are surrendered to the will of God. What if we prayed? What if we asked? Your will, not my will, be done. Change your life. Give us this day our daily bread. All of our blessings come from God. We are depending on him for everything. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This prayer, if we pray it, will remind us of the great grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and the power of God to cleanse us, to remake us, and to keep us from sin. I want to point out, we do not possess that power in ourselves, but God has the power to keep us from falling. He can do that. Are you experiencing victory in Jesus today? Are you experiencing the forgiveness of God? The more I minister, the more I learn that so many of God's people are tripping over the foundational aspects of Christian faith. We sometimes think that what people need is more studies about the sanctuary service. Well, that may be true, and they would be very helpful indeed. That's a good thing to study, no question about it. But I'm discovering that more and more of God's people wonder if they've been forgiven. I spoke with a dear friend recently, this individual has been involved in ministry for a quarter of a century. The issue right now is, will God forgive me? This person has taught that very thing. Wondering now if God will forgive. Forgive us our debts. We must remember that our God will, according to the prophet Isaiah, abundantly pardon. In the Lord's Prayer, God deals with this important thing. Forgive us our debts, and God will forgive. I hope you don't mind me sharing with you from a book called Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. Page 113. Listen to this. God's forgiveness is not just a judicial act by which he sets us free from condemnation. It's not just that. It is not only forgiveness for sin, but reclaiming from sin. Forgiveness is the outflow of redeeming love that transforms the heart. Forgive us our debts, Lord, and we will believe it as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you know how powerful that is? God has the power to keep you from temptation. You are battling with sin. That means you are human. What if you asked? You find yourself stumbling. What if you asked? You have fallen into sin. What if we asked? Lord, 
lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. He will always answer that prayer. What if we pray? Now let's go on in Luke 11, shall we? Because here Jesus applies what he just taught. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend, Luke 11 verse 5, and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you. Now we may read this and say, is that God who doesn't want to be troubled? No, of course it's not. Jesus is teaching us not that God is like that, but he's not like that. And then he says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. You pray and believe that God will answer. You pray and pray again. I know a man, an older man, when he was younger, he went to a Seventh-day Adventist high school. The day he walked out the gate of that school, he walked away from God, didn't want to go back. His mother prayed for him every day. And when she was 99 years old, she walked to the front of the church to be close to the baptistry to see her much older son give his life to Jesus in baptism. What if she'd stopped praying? But why would she do that? Keep praying for your family. Keep praying for your friends. Keep praying for your church. Keep praying for your community. You know what prayer is able to do. Pray and pray again, or what prayer is able to effect. You know, I've been in Leipzig uh, in Germany. I've seen the Nikolai Church and heard the story of Pastor Christian Fuhler, who would hold prayer meetings in that church and they grew and they grew and they grew. And it is not an exaggeration to say that prayer and the prayers that emanated from that church had a major role in bringing down the Berlin Wall. Prayer changes things. God is willing. You know, Ellen White says that Solomon was never so great as when he said, I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. He simply said, I don't have anything here. I am dependent upon you. And that's when he was at his greatest. One problem we face is that we pray prayers that are far too small. I'll give you an example of this. The king, whose name was Jehoram, came to the prophet one day. Now, the king was not a good man, but he came to the prophet, and the prophet said to him, I want you to pound the ground, strike the ground. 
and Joram did three times. The Bible says the prophet was angry. And if the prophet is simply the spokesperson of God, then that prophet was indicating that God was displeased. Why was he displeased? Because the king struck the ground three times and stopped. The prophet said, God will deliver you three times. He said, you should have kept on striking the ground and God would have delivered you from all your enemies. You know, the problem in this story is that the king didn't ask for enough. Can you imagine that? And God was not pleased. You should have asked for more, O king. I was willing to do more. I was willing to give you more. God wants us to place great demands on him. Oh, I wish I had time to tell you the story of the young lady. She had been out of church. I made an appeal. I very nearly was not going to make an altar call. This was at a, a, in a church. I saw her stand up and come to the front. People came. We spoke together out the back, the people who came forward. She said, Pastor, I've been away from church. My whole family has been away from church. Her parents, her brothers, her husband was not a believer. She said, I'm going to pray that God will bring them all back. Her parents were separating. Her father had gone back to drinking alcohol. She wanted me to pray with her that her family would come back to Jesus. Her Catholic husband would come to faith in Jesus. We prayed together. I bowed my head. I closed my eyes and I thought in my head, this will never happen. A minister of the gospel. I knew the family. The father had been an alcoholic. He'd gone back to drinking. You mean that they were going to get back together and he was going to stop drinking and he would come back to church? No way. But I prayed. And she prayed. And she said, John, I'm going to ask God to help me bring them all back. Fast forward to today. One of her brothers is a teacher in a church school. Another of her brothers was a missionary. And her Catholic husband is now the pastor of a Seventh-day Adventist church. Come on, you ought to say amen to that. Her parents, oh, they're strong together. Leaders in the church. Here I am thinking that was too much to ask of God. Let's let God decide. You're praying for your neighbor? Pray for everybody on your street. You're praying for your town? Pray for your country. John Knox, the Scottish reformer, prayed, Give me Scotland before I die. God answered his prayer. We've got to pray big prayers. God is the God of big answers. I say to you, Jesus said in Luke 11 and verse 9, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. 
the one who seeks finds him that knocks to him it shall be open now listen if a son asks any one of you that is a father for bread will you the father give him a stone instead this is jesus speaking now i don't think jesus was trying to be a comedian here but i do think that people listening would have thought this was funny oh yeah what father would give a stone instead of bread if your son asks for a fish will you give him a serpent a snake instead if he asks you for an egg will you give him a scorpion and some of those scorpions can kill a person the answer of course is no no father would do that if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give the holy spirit to them that ask ellen white wrote in the book acts of the apostles the holy spirit awaits our demand and our reception when did you last go to god when did you last pray god in heaven i demand that you fill me with your holy spirit pray that prayer now you aren't demanding in an ugly way lord i gotta have this our lives without the holy spirit I'll tell you a couple of interesting things now i've got to be careful here because this concerns european countries chiefly so i'll bring it back to this side of the atlantic ocean so i don't get in trouble with you if you were to look at athletics records sporting records and i'm talking about athletics there are several world records or olympic records that date back to the early to mid 1980s or maybe the late 1970s when there were some european countries who were freely and recklessly giving their athletes performance enhancing drugs it's very bad it was cheating and it was very bad physically for the athletes receiving it the reason was these athletes needed something they didn't have in order to win and so they were filled up with performance enhancing drugs and now they could do things they otherwise could not do so let me bring it back to the united states where i now live the american cyclist lance armstrong won the tour de france many times and there was a reason he did he was a very good cyclist but he was also a very good cheat lance armstrong in his first tour de france realized he could not win because other cyclists were blood doping or using performance enhancing drugs or techniques so lance armstrong became the best at blood doping and therefore the best at cycling in the world's toughest sporting event he won the tour de france multiple times why 
because he cheated. Why did he cheat? Because his best wasn't good enough. My friend, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, don't you know that they which run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize. So run to win. Here we are out in the Christian race running to win. But your best and my best is simply not good enough. Not good enough. We can't win. We are not strong enough. We are not righteous enough. We are not good enough. We cannot win the Christian race. And that's how Paul put it. Now, we don't need a performance enhancing drug. We need this Holy Spirit that God promised abundantly. Friend, how is your church doing, your local congregation? Look at the size of your congregation and the size of the city in which it is. How are you doing? How's your spiritual life? Now, it may be you're saying, I'm hanging on to Jesus and the Lord is doing great things in my, in my life. It might be that you are able to say, I'm just not everything I ought to be. And I don't know how to be that. You know, some of those uh, Eastern European athletes figured out how to be better than they were. Lance Armstrong worked out how to be better than he was. And as we look at this passage in Luke 11 about prayer, we have found the answer to be more than we ourselves can be. The answer is the power of God. The answer is the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Godhead. The answer is in the presence of Jesus in our lives. Ask. What if you asked, Lord, baptize me with your Holy Spirit? And irrespective of how your day went, pray again, Lord, baptize me. Lord, not my will but your will. What if we asked? If we asked, great things would happen. God is willing to work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's what he'll do. He who has begun a good work in you is faithful to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If we asked for the Holy Spirit, our witnessing would be empowered. The mission of our churches and our own personal mission would be so much more powerful. Our lives would never look the same. ASI Europe, GYC Europe, ask. What if we asked? Let's pound the ground and not stop pounding. Let's ask God for more than we have ever asked for and expect bigger blessings than we have ever received. Jesus is coming back soon. We are going to leave this world and go home to heaven. So let's ask and let's pray and let's expect God to do 
great and mighty things. Pray with me now. Our Father in heaven, baptize us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your heavenly presence. Use us for your eternal glory. We are asking and we expect to see you do great things through us and in us and with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. May God bless you.